some of you were here last year when I did this. And uh, first of all, it's, it's really a schus to be able to talk about Shalom Bayes. Uh, just every time I talk about Shalom Bayes, it's, it's a schus. Whatever is going on in our life, life is tough. And what holds everything, what holds that toughness is our Shalom Bayes. If the Shalom Bayes is there, there's a container for everything else. Shalom Bayes is not there. It's just things are leaking all over the place. So it's really a schus to be able to talk about Shalom Bayes. Um, what I'm going to do today is split up this really three different components to today's class. One is sort of a recap of last of uh, what, what, what I did last year, but a very brief one. Uh, I'm looking at about 10, or 15, 10 to 15 minutes where I'm just going to pull out some of the highlights of some of what I felt were the main points and just go, go over them. If you've heard it before, it doesn't make a difference. If, if you heard it a year ago and you've been married for a year since then, you're going to hear something totally different. You should. Um, then parts two, but then part, that's part one. Part, part, and I'm going to include some other things along the same concepts, the good marriage, bad marriage piece that, that you, you might be familiar with. Um, the second part is more conceptual. I'm, I wanted, there's two different ideas that I want to put out there that I think are so fundamental to marriage. Uh, just more in the line of the first part is what's a good marriage look like? What does a bad marriage look like? But the second part is what, what's a marriage? How do we define marriage? And that's, that's going to be more of a conceptual piece. And that, that'll be the second, the, second and, the second part or the second and third parts because there's two components to that. But let, let's get started. Uh, I'm going to do some screen sharing just to, so you can see what I'm talking about. And one of, one of the things, the first three slides are slides that I put on, a, I, I just want to start every marital class, a marital seminar with these three slides, because they're, they're really fundamental to marriage. Um, and here is, hold on, okay. If the screen share is, is the screen share working? It is, okay. So the first thing we need to know about marriage, I think it's the first thing, I put it the first on my list, is marriage is inherently unstable and a couple's natural tendency is to drift apart. This makes it that makes it different than almost any other relationship, and therefore every single every single moment counts. Every every interaction between a husband and wife counts. What does that mean? What does that mean? In marriage is inherently unstable. What that means is that it's unlike every other relationship. If you have a friend that you haven't seen in six months, and you meet him today, you'll probably pick up exactly where you left off. If I haven't spoken to my brother in three weeks and I talked to him tonight, I'll pick up exactly where I left off. If I haven't spoken to my wife in an hour, the relationship drifted apart. Every, the, every other relationship sort of stays like this. And slowly, if I get into a fight with my friend, it might drift a little bit like this. When we make up, it drifts a little bit back. Marriage sort of works like this. And we could go from one moment to the next. So if you find your marriage like this and like this, you're normal. That's a normal marriage. It, it just shifts all over the place. It's a very unstable relationship. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, this, the second thing that I, and what that means is, just in terms of the, the, another aspect of the meaning is that as every single moment counts. If marriage is so unstable, and there, there are reasons for that which I'm not going to go into, but the, if marriage is so unstable, that means we have to keep on putting it back together. When I walk into the kitchen and I see my wife there and I go to the fridge and I take something out and I don't say hello, I don't smile, I blew it. There was an opportunity there. There was an opportunity to, to bring it back together. So that's, that's number one. Here's, here's point number two in terms of marriage. Marriage is a commitment. Friendships are not. Commitment by definition. Commitment means that we assume the relationship will be challenged. Otherwise, otherwise why commit? Commitment means that something is going to happen here. The reason why this I find this so important is I, it's, it's, it, it's fascinating how many people come into couples therapy and are, are bewildered by the fact that really is there are so many people that come into couples therapy, even sometimes even after 10, 15, 20 years of marriage that are like, really, this is supposed, it's supposed to be hard work. Like this is, with with friendships, and I've heard I've heard so many people say this is a line I've heard a lot. Everybody, all my friends love me. All my friends think I'm the greatest guy in the world. J- just my wife has an issue with me. And, and the reason, I mean, if you think about it, that's like like duh. The, the, they're your friends. 
That's why they're your friends. The ones that don't like you are not your friends. Of the 7 billion people on the planet, the 20, 30 guys who really like you, those are your friends. You're with your wife, you don't get to, when you get into a fight with your friend, that's it. It's over. And, and you know, you'll say the job is to him. With your wife, after a fight, you have to be, the friendship has to be just as strong. That's what commitment means. And that's work. Um, and I'm going to get into, at the end, in the, in the conceptual part, I want to touch on, like, why? Why did the Rebbein Shalom do this to us? What, what is this all about? Why, what, what is marriage? Um, the, the, the next thing is sort of a, a sort of, this is an important disclaimer. Um, and just an important piece to everything I'm going to say here, everything that I'm, that I'm expressing here assumes that there is no mental illness, no personality disorders, and no severe trauma. Um, if you suspect, if you suspect that there is, then you may, you may need outside help. You may need, and, and I really want to stress the word immediately is there. People wait when a, someone once asked me, well, you know, what's, what's the success rate of couples therapy? And one of the first things I respond to that is that depends how long they're married. A couple comes in after one, two, three years of marriage, four years of marriage, even five years of marriage. There's so much that can be done. And almost always, even when there's mental illness, even when there are personality disorders, even when there's severe trauma, there's something that can be done. Uh, this couple comes in 15, 20 years later, and it's there's just problems piled upon problems upon problems. So, so if, if there's something there that you suspect goes beyond some of the things that we're talking about in this presentation, I just want to encourage you to, to seek outside help. Um, because we're not in this presentation, I'm not going to be discussing those situations where there's mental illness or personality disorders. This is this presentation assumes two healthy people who are just very different, like like most marriages. Okay, so if you were, <clears throat> excuse me, if you were here last year, these slides are going to look familiar. I'm going to show you a few slides. And last year it was like 25 or 30. Now it's like I think three or four is what I did, four or five. And what we're going to do is problematic marriage, happy marriage. What does it look like? What does a problematic marriage look like? What does the same thing look like in a happy marriage? And, and a lot of this stuff came out of research where they actually looked at couples in happy marriages, couples in problematic marriages, and compared them. They actually, John Gottman actually put couples in a room for a week with a camera and wa- watched them. Um, and I've seen this. I've seen this with couples that I work with. It's fascinating to see a couple come in to therapy in a problematic marriage. And hopefully if I'm doing my work three months, six months, sometimes a year later, they're, they're in a, they're in a happy marriage. And I watch these dynamics shift. I, I just, it, it just, it just sit, you just see the couple interacting with each other in these ways that are very different. <clears throat> so this is very counterintuitive, but really fundamental in a problematic marriage. I know exactly who you are. And in a happy marriage, I always remain curious about who you are. So hold on one second. All right. So in a problematic marriage, I know exactly who you are. In a happy marriage, I always remain curious about who you are. And the question I've got to this, you know, sometimes I'll get pushback from this. You know, I'm married for 40 years. I'm married for 50 years. Does that, you know, does that still apply? And the answer is yes. It applies as much after 50 years as it does after two years. As soon as I know my spouse, as soon as I know exactly who you are, we're in big trouble. In a happy marriage, you'll find the couples are always, there's a, just a constant curiosity. One way to understand this and, if so, and, and, and this is a line that I've got. I, you know, I know my wife 50 years. So what, like one woman yelled at me, I'm married for 30 years. I'll tell you who he is. You don't tell me. That, that's, th- think of the following. Imagine I told you that I was a nuclear physicist. And I'm a nuclear physicist for the last 50 years. And I know nuclear physics so well that there's nothing more to know. I, I just know everything. I know everything there is to know about nuclear physics. And I don't, I don't even bother to learn anymore because I just know it. You, you, you turn around and walk away. I'm not learning nuclear physics from this guy. <clears throat> now, now take that into, into the realm of human beings. Human beings are probably much more complex than the universe of, of nuclear physics. Imagine I told you that 
you know, I'm a therapist. And let's say I told you, I know everything there is to know about therapy. There's nothing more for me to learn. I just know it. Again, you'd probably laugh and walk away. Uh, this guy's arrogant. What if I told you I know everything there is about myself? I know myself so well. I've been with myself for over 50 years. I know myself so well. I have nothing more to learn about myself. I'm good. And I'm not even going to try to learn anything more. Again, you, you just laugh. So why in the world would I think I know my wife or I know my husband and there's nothing more to learn? There are so many layers. And always always keeping that in mind. There's something here. It looks so obvious. I've seen this behavior a thousand times. Yeah, you've seen it a thousand times and you've thought about it the same way a thousand times. Maybe you're missing something. Maybe you've missed something the last thousand times. Having a conversation of curiosity is one of the fundamental pieces of a marriage. And, and where that plays out is in things like, you know, why, why did you do that? In, 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 a, in, a, in a problematic marriage, why did you do that? In a, in, a, in, a, in a happy marriage, it would be more like, why did you do that? It's a question. I, re- I really want to know. I really want to understand what happened. Okay, so so this is more on the same on the same on the same concept. In a problematic marriage, you should know what I need without me telling you. And in a happy marriage, I need to tell you what I need, or or you won't know. The slides I picked out are the slides that show up in my therapy office the most. Um, you should know what I need without me telling you. I, I think that line has caused more more problems in marriage than any other line. Your spouse does not know what you need, and if 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 there are wives here or husbands here, go, it, this goes both ways. Um, my, my, if you know, how how in the world could you not know this? How is it, how could you not know? This is basic. This is fundamental. This is obvious. So, the answer is it's not. We're all extremely extremely different, and there are there are things that I will that I will do for my that I won't do for my wife because if she did them for me. It, it, it would bug me. I'll just give you a, a, an example. This is actually from a, from a couple that I work with. They're sitting in a room with a bunch of people, and the wife doesn't have a chair. Everybody else is sitting, but there's a few people standing. The wife doesn't have a chair. And she notices her friend's husband brings over the chair but for his wife. But her husband doesn't bring over the chair for her. And her husband is standing there, and he sees that she's standing. Sees. Okay, this is good for the wives to hear, but this goes both ways. I, I, he sees me standing. He sees me standing. He just doesn't care. With that particular couple and with and many situations like this, with this particular couple, when they pulled it apart, the husband in this case was a person who if he's standing and someone brings over a chair, he'll get annoyed. Like, if I want a chair, I'll go get my own chair. The, the, the mind is just working in different ways. You don't. It's, it's so important to be able to express... This is what I need, to be able to tell each other what you need and to hear it if it's something that it's not, and to be, and to be able to hear it. The, ne- the, next, the next piece is, in a problematic marriage, dating is the thing of the past. I saw there were some questions on that last piece. I'm going to go back to it. I just want, I want to go through certain pieces and I'll come back to the questions. I know I'm leaving some things a little bit open over here. But in a problematic marriage, dating is a thing of the past. In a happy marriage, we never stop dating. What does that mean? <clears throat> it's interesting. Dating has certain... There are certain things that take place in the context of dating. Dating is a process of curiosity. Dating is a process of, 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 of certain kind of conversations. It's interesting that we date. The way we get married is we date somebody. And on that date... We might go out seven times, eight times, ten times. And in that dating process, we, we, we learn about each other. We get to know each other. We start to like each other. And we make, we make a decision to get married based on the dating. Now, I've, I've seen couples in my office. I had one couple that were married, was married for over a year. I mean, sorry, they were dating for over a year. They were, they, this, is not, you know, this is not the yeshivish five, six dates. They, they dated for over a year. And they were in my office three months afterwards. It was a disaster. It's it's very sad that when we get the very thing that we do 
to decide if this spouse is right for me is the very thing we stop doing once we get married. What are we doing when we're dating? We're sitting around schmoozing about stupidities. We're sitting around schmoozing about nothing. We could sit up for three, four hours, five hours, six hours, walk around, play games, do absolutely nothing, have meaningless conversations, look into each other's eyes and smile, and, and just, just have these meaningless things, you know, play games, sit, sit in their lounge over a drink. From that place, we made a decision to get married. And then we get married and we stop doing that. We just stop doing that. Wait, wait a second. We, the whole relationship was formed in a certain way. Now we're doing something completely different. The very thing that, that created this relationship no longer exists. Dating, having to, real friendships come about in a, in a, with meaningless conversations, sitting around doing nothing. So all of a sudden we get married and we're serious. All of a sudden we get married and there's an agenda. There's finances, there's laundry, then there's kids, then there's, there's, there's so much serious stuff going on, but the very thing that created the relationship no longer exists. So how do you expect the relationship to be happy? How do you expect this relationship to work? In a happy marriage, we never stop dating. We're going to make sure we date. And this doesn't mean, you know, date nights, although it does mean that, but it doesn't just mean that. It means, can we sit down for 10 minutes and just schmooze about nothing? Uh, very often I'll ask a couple, when was the last time, a couple that's married for 20 years, when was the last time you just sat around for two, three hours and talked about nothing important? And they look at me like, so what are we supposed to talk about? You, you, you knew each other for two months before you got married and you were talking about nothing. Can you get back to that? And I've watched relationships change just on that, just on being able to go back and, and reignite that part of the relationship. There's another thing that happens in dating and that is, that dating is a process of curiosity and being nice. When a couple on a date have a serious conversation, it's, it's the, the whole process is about curiosity and being nice. What's, really, what's, what's the outcome? It's not as important as we have to be nice and we have to be curious. Then we get married and the serious conversations are all about outcome. Who, whose house should we go to for Shabbos? On a date, we can look into each other's eyes and giggle and laugh about whose house we should go to for Shabbos. Should we go to, to your, your parents' house more or my parents' house more? And it's a funny conversation. And then we, and we could actually, in that conversation, we could learn a lot about each other because we're talking about serious issues, but, but wait, wait a second, we have to be nice. We have to be curious. And then we get married. And curiosity and niceness is out the window. It's about where are we going to Shabbos? So when I say dating in, in, in a happy marriage, we never stop dating. That's also a date. Where are we going for Shabbos? I don't know. Let's go on a date. Let's talk about this for 20 minutes, the way we would talk about it on a date. And, and you'll, if you watch couples in happy marriages, they do this. They really, they, they, they're able to do this. They're able to step back and say, let me be curious and let me hold on to the niceness part. It, it's, re- it's really important to, to keep in mind in any conversation that a husband and wife have, any conversation a husband and wife have, there's, what's, this, what's the single most important outcome of that conversation. So let's say let's say they're arguing about where we're going for Shabbos. The single most important outcome of that conversation is not where we're going for Shabbos. The single most important outcome of that conversation is what is our marriage going to look like for the next 50, 60 years? Where are we going for Shabbos is secondary. Something, something to keep in mind no matter how intense the, the, the conversation gets. Um, and that is, for the most part, that's the recap. That's that's last that's last year's presentation in uh, I said 15 minutes, but we went a little bit over that. The next slide is something that's also really important. This was not there last year, but it's along it's along the same lines. In a problematic marriage, I'm not able to say I'm not able to say that's not what I meant. And in a happy marriage, I'm able to say that's not what I meant. Those words, that's not what I meant. Uh, I, I, I can't even begin to express how important those words are. There, there are marriages where the couple gets into a fight 20 times a day and they have a really happy marriage. And they get angry at each other 20 times a day and they have a really happy marriage. And then there are marriages that they get into one fight a year. One fight a year, not 20 a day, one a year, and they have a horrible marriage. Because in the first marriage, 
All the spouse has to say is, oh, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. We're good to go. We, we move on. And in the other marriage, what do you mean that's not what you meant? What do you mean? How, how could that not be what you meant? We all know that trust is a key ingredient in a marriage. Everybody knows marriage is built on trust, right? We, we hear that line, marriage is built on trust. Trust, trust, trust. What is trust? So and on a very simple level, trust means, you know, if you'd say you're in the office till 10 o'clock at night because uh, you have a lot of work to do, I trust you that it's, you're there because you have a lot of work to do and you're not uh, hanging out with friends. There's a trust. I, I know you're not cheating on me. I know you're not, you know, you're not, you're not doing things behind my back. That's one level of trust, but that's a very, very basic level of trust. Trust goes a lot deeper than trust is more subtle than that. Real trust means, and, and when we say marriage is built on trust, it means this. Real trust means I just said something that really hurt your feelings. And it seems like, you know, I made a comment about your family. And you heard, you heard that comment and you, you took it as an insult to yourself and to your parent. And, and, and now you're just all upset about what I just said. Or I did something. Let's say, let's say I did something. I, I, was, I was at your parents and I ignored you for 10 minutes because I was schmoozing with my sister and I just totally ignored you. And now you're angry at me. Well, well, why did you do that? What, what, what was that all about? And then I say... I'm really, really sorry. It's not, it's not, I, I didn't really, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I, I didn't really, when I said that, that's not what I meant. Can I tell you what I really meant? Or when I was talking to my sister, let, let me just t- explain to you where my mind was. I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done, but l- let me just explain to you where I was. It wasn't because I didn't care about you. It was, it was because, and let me, let, let me explain to you why. You trust me? Do you believe me? Do you believe what I said when I explain why I'm doing things? If you don't, our marriage is in a lot of trouble. If you do, we can get through anything. And this piece in a marriage is, is something to keep in mind. And there are times, there are marriages, there are times when one spouse will say to me, I don't trust him or I don't trust her. Okay, okay. now we got to talk about that. Now we, gotta, now we have to really think about that. But, but think about this in the context of your own marriage. We're different. People are different. And being able to trust your spouse being, being able to trust your spouse is a, is a key component to, to, to being able to, we, we are, it's so important to be able to do this. It's really important to understand that we are very, very, very different. Husbands and wives are different. We, we're just different than each other. And a lot of these trust issues come about because I see certain behavior and it doesn't make sense, but I'm interpreting those, those behaviors through my own mind, through my own, through my own, lens. Um, okay, let me go into, this is, this is a slide that I put together. I, there, are about, there are about 10 more of these things. Let me show you the slide. Men and women are different. Men and women are so completely different. And very often the lack of curiosity and the, the lack of trust comes about by not fully understanding these differences. So let me just show you just a list of four differences but there are many more that are that are basically. And, and anytime, anytime we talk about differences between men and women, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. I've seen it both ways. This is most men, most women. Um, but I've seen it actually flipped around. I've seen some of the things that most men do. Sometimes I've seen in women, and sometimes most women do. I've seen in men. But this is generally, for the most part, and some some of these things are written about, talked about, and, you know, you get them from books. And some of these things I've just, I've just seen in my office. Um, most men, the first one is most men think with their minds. Most women think with their speech. Uh, I never saw this written anywhere. I just, it's something I've noticed, something I've noticed over and over and over again. What does that mean? Most men think with their minds. Most women think with their speech. What that means is, and, and if, if your marriage doesn't work this way, it's okay. But I would say nine out of ten times when I when I make this statement to a couple, you know, both heads just go like this. When a man wants to think something through, like, okay, I really need to think this through. He needs quiet. I, I, I need quiet. I need a, my mind needs to go through this process. His mind goes through a process back and forth and back and forth and back and forth in his mind. 
and then he comes out with the, with the, with the bottom with the end result, and then and then he says it. But he doesn't speak until he went through that entire process, and then he says it. So the words that come out of his mouth are the the end of a long process. When a woman wants to go through that back and forth process, she does it best when she speaks it through. There's a, when she, let, let's talk it over. So here's what happens all the time in a marriage. The guy, the guy, the woman says, "You know what? I, I think we should. I, I think it would be nice if we put the couch over there, and and you know, and put the armoire over there." And the guy says, "Okay, that, that's 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 great. Let's do that." And then the woman says, "What? Well, well, maybe, maybe it might be a better idea if we move this over here." And and that, like he he thought the conversation was over. He thought the conversation, that, that was it. The conversation, we, we said this, and this is goes over here, this goes over there. No, no, no. She's just starting the thought process. This is, this is the, he, he already went through it. He looked around the room. Here doesn't work. Here works. This doesn't work. This works. He got it all figured out. And he went through 5,000 different computations of mine. This goes here. This goes there. She's just getting started. And in order for her to think it through, she needs to verbalize it. This is not, this is, I see some of you laughing. This is, it's funny, but it's really serious. And, you have to, and it has to go both ways. The woman needs to understand this also. When the guy says something, she thinks that he's this is his opening serve. Like, okay, he's, he's saying something and this is his opening serve. No, no, he, that was the end. That was his last serve. When you re, this, and there's no solution to this. This is, this is how it is. You're different. Um, I'm not going to go through all the other ones. But I just I just want to do that as an can you see that you know when a man is depressed he wants to be left alone when a woman is depressed she wants you to be there with her for I'm not again I'm not going to go into these in any detail but but if anybody has questions on these you know please feel free to ask uh, most men generally think in a linear fashion most women generally think in a holistic circular fashion and uh, I'm not going to go into what that means but. Sit down with your wife or your husband, and, and you'll you'll see it, it, it's this. It, it works this way. The reason why I'm pointing out these things is just just to be able to show that we are so different, and that has to be the starting point. Okay, that's the end of part one. Now I'm, I'm going to go into something completely different. Now we're going into a more conceptual piece. Um, there's some interesting questions that I'm going to, I'm really controlling myself because I really want to jump at the questions, but I really want to cover some material. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get to the questions. Um, I'm going to ask a question. Okay. What we're going to do now is more conceptual and we're going to move away from the practical side of marriage into the more conceptual side of marriage. What's a marriage? Like why, why are we, why are we doing this? What does everybody, what does everybody want from us here? Um, so I'm obviously not going to answer that question, but I want to put out some ideas that really cut to the core and, and begin to give us an understanding of what marriage is and, and what we're after over here. So let me put out a question for you. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. What are the two most fundamental human emotional drives or human emotional needs? Um Think about that question. Now, when I through something I want, I want to just divert for a second. One question that I always get, always, when I when I do a presentation like this, is the word needs comes up a lot. You notice I've used the word needs about a hundred times. A needs, my wants, express, expressing my needs, understanding each other's needs. And the question that always comes up when I especially when I'm giving it to a from to a from island, is what's going on here? Needs, 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 needs. What what about you know what what, what about bittel? What about being mavater? What about like what, why is this all about needs? And I, I just want to address that before somebody asks it. Um, we have needs, and maybe we shouldn't. Maybe maybe we should be on a higher madrega. Maybe our spouse should be on a higher madrega. Maybe there are too many needs over here. I'm not going to get into the discussion of what should be because what should be 
and this is what I, this, this is, my answer is pretty much like this. Yes, you're 100% right. I should be mavata, mavata. I should be mavata, mayesh. I should have, take all my needs and, and sacrifice them on the altar of, 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 of Avoid Hashem. And, and just, just, but those are all things that should be. What, is, what does it mean when I say something should be? Imagine I'm, 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 I'm going on a road and I, and I reach a cliff. And there's a canyon. That's the other side of the canyon is a, is a thousand feet ahead. There's a there's a and there's a thousand foot drop into a raging river below. Now, I was told that there was going to be a bridge over here, going across the canyon. There should be a bridge here. There should. I'm looking at the map. There should be a bridge here. Everyone said there's supposed to be a bridge here. That there's no bridge. But because there should be a bridge, I'm going to keep going. We all know what's going to happen to me. I cannot walk across that canyon in thin air because there should be a bridge here. And in the same way, I cannot engage in a marriage based on what should be because I'm going to fall off the cliff. I'm talking about what is. I'm not talking about what should be. To work on Amidas, to build a bridge, yeah, spend a, spend a lifetime building a bridge. But the marriage has to be built on what's there. So let's go back to the conversation of needs. The question I asked was, what are the two most fundamental human emotional drives, human emotional needs? Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the answer and tell me if this resonates and see if this resonates with you. The first one is the need to be connected. We all desperately need connection. We don't like to be alone. And aloneness, there, there are people who like to be alone, but we refer to it as a pathology. We, we, you know, the, the, the problem, we even have names for them. We have diagnoses for them. Um, we, we don't like to be alone. We, we, we crave human connection. Anybody want to guess what the second thing is? Second thing is, besides connection, just as desperately, I crave, I, I want to be me. I want to be me. Somebody said contentment. Um, I, I, I want to be me. What, 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 what makes me content when I'm connected and I'm me? Think about that. And the, these two, if you, if you think about that, I want to be me. I want to be an authentic expression of who I am. I don't want to be you. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be something. Else. I want to be me. My wants, my desires, my needs. Yes, my needs. Self-actualization, yes. Somebody asked if that means self-actualization, yes. That's self-actualization. Um, the need for meaning. Again, I'm just looking at the comments. Somebody said food. That's, that's why I put the word emotional drives and needs. I stuck the word emotional in there because the first, the first version of this slide did not have the word emotions. Um, so you're not the first one that came up with that. And afterwards, I put emotion in there. I want to be me. I want to be... I want to be an expression of myself. I'm going to use the word authenticity now, whenever I, to, to express that. Um, so I'm going to use these two words. I'm going to use the word connection and the word authenticity. Um, there's a lot of humor coming up in the chat. I see it, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to stay focused. Um, and, and I appreciate it, but I'm still going to try to stay focused. Now, now think about this for a moment. I'm, so again, I'm going to use the word authenticity. When I say authenticity, I mean my, my deep desire to be me. When I use the word connection, I mean my desire for attachment to other people. If you think about this, there's a huge problem here. Because in order to be connected, I may have to give up some of my authenticity. And in order to be authentic, truly authentic, I may have to give up my connections, I, 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 they, they very often fight against each other. So, for example, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a, I have a white shirt, a beard. Uh, you don't see it, but I have black pants. I, with this uniform, I can get my kids into any yeshiva in Muncie, right? I, could, I, I belong. I'm connected. What if real me, what if a real, true, authentic expression of self for me would be a pink flowered shirt, with yellow shorts and open toe sandals and a ponytail and, and earrings, right? That, that was me. So I could do that. I could be a deep, authentic expression of myself, but I would probably lose 99% of the connections that I have in my life. I'd have to move somewhere else and find other connections. So 
and there are people who have to dress a certain way, conform to certain codes, because their connection is very important to them. And then, but then, if I if I give up all my authenticity for my connections, I'll. I'll so I, I, there's this battle that goes back and forth. I want to be connected, but I want to be authentic. I want to be authentic, but I want to be connected. Now, this this relationship between these two things plays itself out. Let me let me let me go. This, I was going to go to marriage, but before we even get to marriage, there's something. There's something very very. Fundament, there's a fundamental idea here that comes out of attachment theory about authenticity and connection. And that is that authenticity and connection don't just compete with each other. They need each other. I cannot be, at the same time that authenticity competes with connection, I cannot be truly authentic unless I'm connected. And I cannot be truly connected unless, unless I'm authentic. They need each other. The, the, the classic example that's given in attachment theory is you see a, a if you see a little baby, a two-year-old is running away from mommy. And the two-year-old will stop and look back. And if mommy's looking, the two-year-old will keep running. Because, you know, he'll look back, his, his eyes meet with mommy's eyes, they see each other, and the two-year-old will laugh and, and run. If mommy's not looking, if mommy's talking to her friend, he'll go running back to mommy. And the second mommy looks at him and goes, hi, they connect. He turns around and he runs away. What's happening there? And what attachment theory says is what's happening there is he's seeing, he, he, the second he feels connected, he, there's a sense of security and he could run out and explore the world. He could be authentic. He could be himself. The second he feels disconnected, he has to run back and get the connection. We cannot be authentic without a feeling of connection. And this, this is with two-year-olds and it's with 20-year-olds, and it's with 80-year-olds. We need a sense of connection, a sense of belonging, in order to really be able to express our authentic self. That's one of the reasons why we so desperately crave marriage and family and, 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 and all kinds of connection. When somebody is not connected, connection is a, is a very, very important part of our, our, of our authenticity. And without connection, we, we have a really, really hard time. It's almost impossible to be authentic. And it goes the other way. If I'm not authentic and I, I'm connecting to you from a place of lack of authenticity, then I'm not really connecting to you. Real connection means there's an authentic part of me that's connecting. If I have to be fake to connect, then there's something that's not, there's something that's, that's not happening over here. So think about this, what we just said. I'm just going to summarize what I just said. Authenticity and connection compete with each other. They, they, pull, they pull against each other. But authenticity and connection need each other desperately. They feed off each other. Now let's go to marriage. Because marriage is that place where this dance between authenticity and connection plays out more than anywhere else. Authenticity, if marriage is the place where we, we're supposed to find our deepest connection, right? That's where we find the deepest love, the deepest connection, hopefully. But think about this. If marriage is that place that we we find our deepest connection, then it's also that place that challenges our authenticity like no other place on the planet. Right? And and it has to. And if marriage is that place that challenges our authenticity, so that's number one. If marriage is the place of my deepest connection, then marriage is the place that challenges my authenticity like no other place. But the second part of that is, if marriage is the place of my deepest connection, then marriage is the place where I find my authenticity like no other place. That's, if you want to really, really understand the dance of marriage and what's going on in, in almost every single marital fight, in almost every single, what's, what's happening is my authenticity is being challenged and I'm desperately looking for authenticity. And I know I can, I, I need this marriage. I need this marriage to be able to find my authenticity because without the connection, I'm, I'm all alone. I can't find my authenticity. But the marriage, at the same time, I need this marriage to find my authenticity, to find me, I need this marriage. But the marriage is challenging me at every, at every step of the way. Do you hear the mess? This, this is a mess. But, but when you really, really fully understand this and and then you you could make this work for you. 
people look at this as a problem. It's not a problem. It's marriage. Marriage does both. It challenges my authenticity. It has to. But at the same time that it's challenging my authenticity, it's where I'm going to find myself. What does this mean in practical terms? What would I, so what? If, what does that mean? To be able to express my authenticity means I'm going to say things to you. I'm going to say things to my spouse that don't work with my spouse's world. They work for my world because I'm unique and you're unique. You remember the whole first part of, of, of this presentation was that we're different. And we acknowledge that we're different. I'm not you. You're not me. We will forever be different. But if I'm really curious about you and you start telling me something that makes no sense at all, now you're expressing your authentic self. The things that I express to you, if I'm expressing something to you and it makes perfect sense to you, that's great. But now I'm expressing something to you that makes no sense to you. I'm not even sure if it's, I'm not even sure if it makes sense to me, but I'm expressing it. I'm going into very dangerous territory because I'm going into territory now where I'm expressing my authentic self, and it's different than you. Can you make room for that? Could marriage, if marriage is a place where I can safely say things that make no sense, literally. Um, what, what am I giving just practical examples of what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I had a Hasidic guy in my office once crying to me, literally crying that he wanted to go to the Marines. And that was his childhood dream since he's 10 years old. He, he wasn't going to the Marines. He wasn't, it just wasn't, uh, this was, he had a wife, kids, it just wasn't happening in his world. Imagine him saying to his wife, I had this dream since I'm a little boy to go to the Marines and crying to her about it. And what what do you think his wife's reaction would be? So he didn't know what his wife's reaction would be, but it it wasn't going to come out with his wife. He wasn't even going to share it with his wife. He had to go to a therapist and pay money to share something that anybody else would have laughed at, and his wife would have laughed at. His wife would have said, that you're crazy. What are you, Marines? So he had to come to it to be authentic, but and it made no sense. That piece that made no sense was, was an expression of authentic self. Now, I'm picking, some, I'm picking this example, but you can plug a thousand things into this. Can the marriage be a place where it's safe to express my authenticity? And if it is, I can, we form the deepest connections in that authenticity. The goal of marriage, what you're trying to do is create an environment where I can be, excuse me, where I can be as authentic as I possibly can. And at the same time, as connected as I possibly can. Can I, can I be authentic and connected and not be afraid? Can I express my authenticity and not be afraid that it's going to destroy the connection? Can I be fully connected to you and not be afraid that it's going to destroy my, authentic, my authenticity? Can we make this place? So if we do that, if we do that, what's, ha- what's going to happen here is I'm going to find the deepest connection because I'm going to take my, my fullest, my fullest. Somebody just asked, how do you do that? You do that by creating a safe environment for your spouse. By each spouse creating a safe, it's safe. You can say whatever you want, whatever you want. It's okay. It sounds crazy. In my world, it makes no sense, but it's safe. This is a safe place. You can be two years old if you want. Let your three-year-old self come out. If I can be fully authentic in the marriage, then I can be fully connected to you. And if I can be fully connected to you, then I can be fully authentic. And the more authentic I can be, the more connected I can be. And the more connected I can be, the more authentic I can be. And round and round we go. So marriage is not true. We think of marriage as this place of deep connection. It is. Marriage is a place of self-discovery. Marriage is that place where we find ourselves more than any other place. It's a place of understanding ourselves, of becoming an authentic self. It's the connection in marriage 
creates the authenticity. The authenticity that we can do and have in marriage creates, creates the connection. One more concept, and then I'm going to turn to the to questions. This is a totally different concept. We're, we're tr- totally going to switch gears. And I'm, I'm bringing this in because this is something that, I, again, a, a lot of this, these presentations that I do come out of what I see in my office and where the problems lie in marriage. Um, this is a problem that I've seen coming up over and over again. It may, it may res- this, this particular one may resonate with some of you. It may not resonate with some of you, but I found this to be a problem, especially in this generation. Um, here's the question I'm going to ask you. Another question. What is romantic love? How do we define romantic love? What role does it play in marriage? How important is it to a successful marriage? And is it a necessary component of an intimate loving relationship? Now, I, I Googled romantic love. Just what's the definition? I, I once just Googled it and see what Google told me. So, nobody knows what this means. Romantic love is something that you ask somebody, could you define it? Yeah, it's kind of this feeling. It's this thing. It's, it's, but, but I know it's there and I know it's important. But, but what it's, so here, here is romantic love has taken a hold. It's taken a real hold on our generation. To, to a very powerful extent, I'm going to quote you something from an article that I saw. The following are quotes from an article that was written. I saw this a few years ago. This was written by a couple that decided mutually to break up. And it was a very nice article how they had this beautiful marriage, but they decided that the marriage wasn't, wasn't going to really work for them because they weren't romantically attached. And, and here are quotes from the article. The couple decided that romantic attachment, they each found somebody that they were romantically attached to. They found somebody with, that, that created amazing feelings in them. And the marriage didn't do that. And quote, quote, the, 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 it said, romantic attachment is essential to a functioning marriage. And I read that line and I was like, whoa. It's, here's another line from that article. It's what human beings need to be healthy. All of us. Romantic attachment. It's one of the main purposes of life. Now, are these statements universally true? So I'm going to quote something. I'm going to, I, I, I'm going to go to the secular world now. I'm, I'm not going to go to Svarm. I'm going to go to. I'm, I'm going to quote now from two 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 different books. Um, that talk about romantic love. One was was written in the '80s. One was written more recently. The first one was written by a guy, Robert Johnson. Again, these are books that were written by psychologists. These are secular books. This is not, I'm purposely not quoting anything from a Ashkoff over here. Um, here's the quote. This is Robert Johnson in a book called We, Understanding the Psychology of Romantic Love. Romantic love is the single greatest energy system in the Western psyche. In our culture, it has supplanted religion as the arena in which men and women seek meaning, transcendence, wholeness, and ecstasy. As a mass phenomenon, romantic love is peculiar to the West. That Just stop and pause and read that line again. As a mass phenomenon, romantic love is peculiar to the West. With typical Western self-righteousness, we assume that our notion of love, romantic love, must be the best. We assume that any other kind of love between couples would be cold and insignificant by, compa- by comparison. That's Robert Johnson. The next quote is from... Esther Perel. Esther Perel is a contemporary. Johnson was in the 80s. This is, this is a, from a recent book. This book was written a couple of years ago. Uh, this was a book that was written by Esther Perel on affairs. Um, she says, in our quest for the soulmate, we have conflated the spiritual and the relational as if they are one and the same. That is a really powerful line. We have, we have conflated the spiritual and the relational as if they are one. When we're looking at relationships as if there's supposed, to, there's supposed to be some kind of spirituality there. And this is coming from a secular psychologist. The per- One second. The perfection we long to experience in earthly love used to be sought only in the sanctuary of the divine. We've brought heaven down to earth, and now happiness is no longer just a pursuit, but a mandate. We expect one person to give us what once an entire village used to provide. Um, in terms of what is marriage, there is a, this, this, and the idea that this is a Western phenomenon is very important. If you go back 100 years, 
this, I'm not talking about the Zaydas and the Bubas and the Shtetl. I'm talking about the world. Romantic love was not a major, major factor in marriage. It was there. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. But it wasn't considered a necessity. What, what, when I, so what, what is romantic love? Nobody really knows, but it's a feeling. Something that should be there. It's something that's, I'm not being swept away. I'm not being, there's some high that we're looking for in a marriage. And it, it's a distraction that is unique to the West, according to these, these two psychologists. Um, so, so, so wait a second. So, so what is marriage? So what do we, so wait a second. If it's not this feeling, if it's not this, so I, I just made a list of what is marriage? Because that's, that's the next question. It's okay, so what are we looking for? And I want you to look at this list and I'm going to read through it. I'm going to, you could read it, but I'm going to read it. And just read along with me. And I want you to imagine a couple that has everything on this list, but they don't have this experiential high that we call romantic love. And try to imagine the marriage that sits inside of that. So here's the list. So what else is there to marriage? Safety, stability, companionship, friendship, caring and being cared for emotional support, being able to emotionally support someone else, sense of belonging, sense of being understood, sense of having a place in the world, sense of being special and unique to another human being. And not, none of these are feelings. None of these, none of, nothing that I'm reading is expressing itself as this emotional high. These are just things. Knowing that I'm the priority, priority in somebody else's life, knowing someone is thinking about me, having someone to share the challenges of life with, someone to raise a family with, someone to work together with in order to pursue the values and convictions we both share, someone to cry to, someone to laugh with, someone to play with, etc., etc., etc. When you have all those things and more, what emerges from that is something so much deeper than what we call romantic love, than this experiential high of romantic love. Marriage is something, is, is a relationship about caring for each other. It's a relationship of authentic, the whole thing that I talked about, authenticity and connection, has nothing to do with romantic love. It has nothing to do with this experiential high. It's about caring for somebody, creating safety for another person, helping each other become ourselves, helping each other in self-discovery, and, and everything else that was on that list. If you have everything that's on that list, and you will have something that is way, way deeper than romantic love. The, the work in, the, in marriage, when you want to define what is marriage, the work of marriage is not a feeling. It's not about chasing a certain feeling. It's not about chasing a certain experience. It's not about, I, I don't feel it inside of me. It's about creating a relationship that's really meaningful in terms of caring about each other and being partners with each other and helping us each other with authenticity and connection. What emerges from that is, is something that's so way deeper than anything romantic love can offer.